Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my own website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I'm Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 46 in our series for 2022, and today's date is Friday, December the 16th. First, I'll be talking to Andy Thiss, head of Anaplan ANZ, a planning software company used by leading ANZ enterprises across consumer packaged goods, retail, finance and healthcare to help them better plan for the future. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about the market outlook for 2023. But now let's talk to Andy Thiss. Now, Andy, tell us about the work of Anaplan. Uh, so Anaplan is a, a cloud-based platform that helps organizations transform and how they see, plan, and run their business. So uh, been around for over 10 years and most recently in Australia for about five. I mean, it would be particularly acute now with workforce shortages and uh, supply chain issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think planning is technically kind of seen as a, a finance function, right? But as the finance becomes more and more involved in the operational planning of the business, and especially during the COVID times that we're seeing now, supply chain issues, massive problems for organizations around the globe and in Australia, as well as you know, getting the right talent into the organization and future-proofing the way that businesses are going to run. So, and you know, Australia, right, typically relies on overseas workers and various people moving interstate. A lot of pressure now on organizations to make sure they maximize their talent and human capital, really. That's, that's quite extraordinary now. I mean, because the borders here aren't going to reopen for some time. So that's going to be Correct. quite cute. Correct. I think the interesting thing too is, right, so, I mean, if you even look back to uh, this last tax year, uh, ASIC gave uh, organizations an extra month and a half or whatever because there was a shortage of auditors to do the taxes, right? So those auditors can then move, move, move ship for more, more, more money and very quickly because there's such a shortage of those skills. So that applies in every uh, industry that we're seeing across Australia, whether it's sales, HR, supply chain, there's a shortage of the right skills to move the businesses forward. And it's a, it's a big problem because oftentimes an organization's workforce, right, is their best asset, but it's also their biggest cost. And oftentimes it gets the least amount of love. So it's a, an extremely uh, interesting time here in Australia because those borders are closed and it will put a lot of pressure on organizations, especially from a costing perspective. I would imagine, too, that, I mean, I, I was reading this morning in the Financial Times, so UPS was saying that the 
systems supply chain issues have been exacerbated because the battered airline industry, the sharp swings in consumer demand, and the pressures on global shipping, and yes. uh, and he's actually and they're actually predicting that the airline industry won't swing back until 2025. So we're talking yeah, well. here, perhaps permanent problems or long-term problems at least. Absolutely, and I think you know the thing you, you mentioned there, right, around demand planning, right? So organizations, I mean, from a supply chain perspective, it's so important to understand where that demand is so they can, you know, minimize the stock and make sure they get the best customer experience so that those stocks are in store or online when the customer needs them. So the fact that, you know, shipping containers are in short supply, so uh, that's another big pressure on the supply chain, as well as the airlines, it makes it virtually impossible for for retailers uh, and services business alike to actually look to predict the future. And that's where, you know, rapid scenario planning, demand planning, uh, to be able to flex with the times is really going to help organizations. That's where a platform like Anaplan really helps to play and streamline that whole process. Well, the Australian Competition Consumer Commission has actually started an inquiry into the sharp rise in container costs because of this issue. Exactly. Well, I mean, you, you think about if you're a, a logistics provider, right, and you're working on relatively small margins, you know, for an, for a costing to go up like that, it makes it almost unprofitable to be able to run your business. So I think it's an interesting uh, inquiry for sure. So, I mean, so the issue is this. I mean, how does a business plan for that? I mean, what systems is your software putting into place to take that into account and to plan effectively? Yeah, so I think if, if you take it a little bit of a step back, organizations have been planning uh, for a very long time, right? Some doing it better than others, right? And, you know, organizations typically plan in silos, right? So there's a, a sales function, there's a marketing function, there's a finance function, IT, HR, et cetera, right? Supply chain, okay? And what they do really well historically is they record debt. So they've got a CRM system, an ERP system, okay? And then on the other end of the spectrum, they report on it, which is they've got BI tools that can actually put in the nice graphs and make sure that the data all makes sense. What problem we're solving here in helping organizations is, is what we call the messy middle, right? So between where the source system lies and the reporting system lies is a convoluted web of spreadsheets, point solutions, PowerPoints, multiple, multiple lines of rework. And when you can bring in a platform like Anaplan, it will connect those source systems to the BI tools and allow you to basically use it as a crystal ball to look forward to, to predict the multiple scenarios that you might need to in the ever-changing environment. Okay, so so what industries would this apply more to? Well, really any industry, right? So that, that's the beautiful thing of this platform, like I said. Now, we work across financial services, so services lines of business, telcos, uh, mining, engineering, construction, retail. So any organization, it's a very kind of horizontal and verticalized type of platform. So I think the, the big problems we're really solving that we're seeing at the moment do tend to be around the supply chain and the workforce planning optimization here in Australia. But obviously, you know, finance and other types of use cases are quite popular. But yes, it's, it's quite an interesting time for us being a cloud-based platform. I think the only thing I'd say there is the ability to collaborate in real time is absolutely critical, right? So this data has got to be fast. It's got to be agile. It's got to be quick. And then it has to have the ability to connect these other systems so that you can make use of that data, uh, make smarter decisions faster, ultimately. That means you would have to be talking across the whole organization. Uh, it depends. You know, I think um, oftentimes conversations do start in finance because it seems that planning uh, in, in all aspects of it seem to start kind of an end in finance. But what it is, is about getting organizations to understand that by connecting these different silos, 
they're going to be much faster, more agile, and uh, ultimately have a competitive advantage out there in the marketplace by leveraging these, uh, this data that's technically stored in various different components of an enterprise. But uh, that, that also suggests, doesn't it, that uh, you're going to have to get these different parts of the organization talking to each other. And as you say, they're all working in silos. And that's quite yes. an issue, isn't it? It, it is. It is. I think it's organizations are are realizing now that they more than ever that they can't kind of do what they've always done to continue to accelerate their their growth and their customer satisfaction. Right. So, I think yes, there there there's challenges across every organization around silos, but a platform like ours can actually help to connect that and bring people together as opposed to continue to operate in those silos. So that's the opportunity that we see, especially for enterprises in Australia, but across the globe. So there's a real opportunity to actually change the operations of organizations at a, at, a, yeah. at, a, at a really holistic level. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, it's a, it's a, tra it's a transformational type of technology, right? It can be as simple as, you know, just going in and doing finance, uh, FP&A types of work with a customer, or it can be as transformational as end-to-end -end supply chain, demand planning, trade and promotions, right? And so recently we've just done a piece of work with a, one of the biggest wine producers here in Australia right? For just that, it's a transformational piece of work, end-to-end -end trade promotion, supply chain, demand planning, as well as finance. So we've helped them to see that, you know, by connecting these different sources of data across, you know, 30 different countries with, you know, 14,000 staff, we're able to accelerate that planning process so that they can hit their demand plan as well. So it is a, uh, it is a powerful tool. Right. And totally transformation. Yeah. That's, the, I mean, that's the idea is how, how do we help organizations take it to that next level? And um, by helping them connect all the systems, the variables at speed, real time, and accurately, they're able to make better decisions uh, much faster. Well, I would imagine uh, with all the issues with shipping and borders and airline, you've got your work fairly cut out for the next few years. <laughs> we do. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's been uh, an absolute crazy time for us, as you can imagine, right? So not only the fact that you know, with people now working from home, right? So, you know, the days of having to go in and everybody sits around a desk and looks through a spreadsheet, uh, you can't really do that now, right? So the ability to kind of collaborate real time across multiple geographies, even though even in Australia, right? Between, you know, Sydney and Melbourne or, you know, New South Wales, Victoria, it's a really important thing to be able to access that level of data. And that's where a cloud-based platform really comes into play. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be emailing uh, multiple spreadsheets around and uh, it's not a very efficient process as those sit in people's inboxes. Right. And, and the cloud would be the ideal space to do it, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and as, as you know, Leon, I think, you know, the, the acceleration to cloud, especially in Australia, has, has, has really picked up. And, you know, the pandemic has seen that uh, globally between uh, different cloud technologies. I think the other interesting thing you did mention there was just around uh, operating models, right? So, for example think if you're a bank, right? I don't know the last time I went into a branch to do any banking, right? And that was even before the pandemic, right? Because the technology is getting to a place where you can do that unless it's kind of mandatory, right? Now, all of a sudden, people can't go in branches or we don't know which branches do what. So do we have the right people at those branches? Are we overstaffed? Are we understaffed? But how do we make sure that we have consistency in the quality of the service levels we deliver, right? Now, being able to run scenario modelings across the performance of various branches then helps you to look at different operating models to say, okay, well, this, this, this branch potentially here could go online or we could discontinue a service here because it's not actually happening. So it allows you to be much more uh, accurate and smart with the decisions that you're making without compromising revenue or customer service, right? And so that's where it, it does that transformation starts to evolve into a much 
you're looking at different ways of operating and servicing your customers. And that's what's so exciting about it. Well, in a sense, a pandemic and all the pressures that have caused and this cloud-based software of Anaplan uh, could actually change businesses permanently. Absolutely. That's what we're hoping for. Well, Andy, it's been terrific talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your time, Lee. I really appreciate it. And now let's talk to Comsec Chief Economist, Craig James. Craig, what's your view of the market in 2023? 2022 was quite a corker. What are your views for next year? Well, we certainly believe that what we're going to see is a significant slowdown in the economy over uh, 2023. We've had super normal lifts in terms of interest rates, and the Reserve Bank's probably not done yet in terms of lifting interest rates. We've still got factored in that in February of next year, We'll have another quarter of 1% increase, and that'll take the cash rate to 3.35%. Certainly not all the interest rate increases have gone through to the individual borrowers yet. You know, so it takes around about three months for the decision to be made in terms of interest rates going up for the impact to, to occur at the, the borrower level. So there's still a bit of a lag to be able to go through. So we are expecting to see the Australian economy slowing quite markedly. So in, in calendar 2022, we, we believe that growth will end up at 3.8% now. That's well above the long-term average. If we look at uh, economic growth over the long term, around about 2.25% is about, about normal. And what we think is that after a super normal year in terms of growth, that we're going to see in 2023, 1.3% uh, growth and probably something of the order of one3 or 1.5% growth in, in 2024. So, yeah, it slows down for, from here. So quite markedly. And would that be true for the global economy as well? Well, the global economy, we, we think, is going to significantly slow down. In fact, we're looking for recessions in most parts of the developed world, the United States, UK, Europe, and also in terms of Japan. We think that Australia will avoid a recession because we've got so many good fundamentals at the moment supporting our, our economy. We've got a a budget which is probably yes, the, the envy of the rest of the world if we look at the, the federal budget. Uh, we've got a, a current account. Well, we did have a, a deficit in the late, latest quarter. Uh, overall, uh, we're still producing current account surpluses rather than deficits. We certainly do that in terms of international trade. We know our businesses are in very, very good shape because the business surveys are telling us that companies are in, in good shape. And um, I think part of the reason for that is people have got jobs and they're still spending it. And uh, also businesses are passing on those higher costs and the higher prices to, to consumers. And that's ensuring up uh, business uh, balance sheets. Uh, so from Australia's perspective, I think we'll continue to outperform. Uh, but we are going to see downturns, I think, in most of the major developed uh, economies. Uh, Asia should hold up a whole lot better if we're looking at regions around, around the world, though. Right, OK. But the, the big question is what happens with China? I mean, China, for me, is the wild card for global inflation. What's your view about that? Well, certainly, you know, sort of China is the wild card, I think, for, for really everything. You know, sort of in terms of a, a slowdown in terms of the, the global economy, if we can have China being supported, and, and there's some signs of that already occurring. It does look as though... The, the leadership is starting to, to break down some of the COVID restrictions. And if that continues to occur over the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, we could see a rebound in terms of the Chinese economy. And that will soften the downturn that we're seeing in terms of the global economy. So, But also, if China continues to, to, to ramp up in uh, 2023, 
uh, that should be good for the global inflation situation. So more output, more supply coming through from China of a whole range of goods and particularly things like you know, tech, tech uh, type goods, getting the, the chips that will basically seemingly run everything, making sure that there's plenty of those to, to go around. Uh, so it is going to be pivotal in terms of both economic growth and also in terms of inflation. But what's your view about all the central banks are saying inflation will come down, but there's a whole lot of unknown variables. And the question is, how will it come down? What's your view about their forecasts? Well, the, one of the fundamental points of uh, inflation coming down is the supply chain. We do know through the, the COVID period that people have been prevented from going into their workplace because they've been contracting COVID. And of course, that's restricted supply. And that's why central banks have been trying to uh, slow down demand. So supply and demand can come into to balance. But we're seeing more and more anecdotes and, and more and more evidence coming out from things like shipping costs and freight costs. That he- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Supply chain difficulties are being being met, you know, so the issues are being dealt with. And while the, the prices for a whole range of different things aren't returning to the levels that they were before the, the pandemic, they are coming down. And that's a a disinflationary impulse that we're going to see across the economy. There's prices coming off the highs and yes, they're going down to lower lower levels. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how it all gets played out in terms of the inflation rates by major countries. Uh, yeah, we could see a situation where everyone's uh, freaking at the moment about higher rates of inflation, that we could see disinflation starting to, to manifest in 2023. And therefore, uh, central banks will be uh, quick to, to slow down their, their pace of uh, slowing down, yes, to their pace of interest rate increases. And the may actually start doing what we think that we will be doing here in Australia, and that's cutting interest rates. But uh, the question is, how far can inflation fall? It would still be a long way from getting down to the preferred band of 2 to 3%, which is the preferred band of, band of the RBA and the Fed. Yeah, it's certainly going to take some time. If we look at the situation in Australia, we're sitting around about 6.1% for, for the trim mean at the, the moment of the underlying rate of inflation. And we're thinking that over the, the four quarters of 2023, that we'll see a reduction from 4.9 down to 4.2, 3.5 down to 2.8 in the, the fourth quarter. So that's our expectation in terms of the the Australian rate of inflation. And as I say, yes, you know, so the, the super normal rate hikes that have been applied, they are going to work their magic, we believe, in, in 2023. It's going to sharply slow down you know, so the economy. And uh, we think as a result, the inflation uh, impulse will also come down quite markedly through slower 
growth in terms of our economy, you know, so demand, you know, so coming down to in line with, with supply, uh, as well as, you know, sort of global factors, you know, so being applied, yes, to that as well. That would suggest, though, that we're going to have rate hikes not only through 2023, but also in 2024. Well, our view is that um, there'll be one more interest rate hike in the February reading of, um, or the February board meeting of next year, that they'll hike rates once more to 3.35%. And when we think by this time next year, there will actually be seeing interest rates being cut, you know, in Australia. We think that the, the impact in terms of higher inflation and higher interest rates is really going to start slowing down your household consumption or household spending uh, early next, next year. And of course, if households are spending less, we're going to see less in terms of business activity and businesses are going to be more likely to absorb costs rather than pass it on to, to uh, consumers. So we do look for um, a fairly substantial slowing you know, to the economy next year. Uh, it's not just the fact that interest rates are going up and there's higher prices that is going to be constraining uh, spending. Uh, but it's also the people moving across from their fixed rate loans uh, to a combination of fixed versus variable. And uh, it's, it's certainly going to come as a shock to quite a number of the people that are on fixed rate loans, just how much extra they're going to have to pay in terms of instalments. And uh, that is going to have a very substantial, very real impact on the economy next year. But we're unlikely to get to a recession or anything like that? That's not it. Yeah, it's our view that we will avoid recession yes, here in Australia because the fundamentals are in very, very good shape. As I say, the strength of the business sector, even household balance sheets are in good shape. And people getting their, their buffers in, in line uh, through the, the pandemic and uh, savings, while savings have come off a bit for, from the highs, you would expect that. But you know, sort of still, if you look at the, the net savings in the economy, it's still basically double where we were uh, heading into the pandemic. So, so uh, savings have been increased. Uh, people have got you know, their, their finances you know, sort of in check and combination of businesses, balance, balance sheets in good shape and also households. And add into that you know, sort of also the, the federal government with its balance sheet. Um, I think you know, so that's going to provide you know, so good support for the overall economy as we go into uh, 2023. Well, Craig, thank you so much for your time and wishing you a very Merry Christmas. And a very Merry Christmas to you too, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, it's a gift that no one wants, but everyone is getting this year. Inflation. Higher prices are hitting shoppers hard as 2022 comes to a close. That's taking the joy out of gift giving for a majority of Americans, according to a new survey from the Harris Poll commissioned by Bloomberg News. Inflation surged to a 40-year high this year, while wages struggled to keep up. Americans are cutting back on their holiday spending as a result. About 60% of respondents said they plan to buy fewer gifts and to purchase gifts for fewer people. A similar percentage are cutting back on holiday travel. Meanwhile, more than one-third have decided to skip gift-giving altogether due to the costs. That's leading Americans to lower their expectations on what they'll unwrap. Three in ten say they expect to be disappointed by the gifts they receive this year, with millennials and Gen Z especially pessimistic. And Sam Bankman-Fried, the former chief executive of bankrupt crypto exchange FTX, has been arrested in the Bahamas. The Bahamian Attorney-General, Rian Pinder, said the country's police force had arrested the disgraced crypto tycoon after receiving formal notification from the US that it had filed criminal charges. The US is likely to request his extradition, Pinder added in a statement. And the White House called attacks by Twitter owner Elon Musk on outgoing top medical advisor 
Anthony Fauci disgusting and incredibly dangerous. These personal attacks that we've been seeing are dangerous on Dr Fauci and other public health professionals as well. They're disgusting and they're divorced from reality, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said Monday when asked about Musk's tweets. We will continue to call that out and be very clear about that, added Jean-Pierre, who did not mention Musk by name. Musk, in a tweet on Sunday, mocked the use of gender pronouns and called for Fauci to be prosecuted. My pronouns are prosecute Fauci, he wrote. An earlier tweet on Sunday also targeted Fauci with a meme about lockdowns which aimed to minimise transfer of the virus by closing many in-person businesses and schools early in the pandemic. Musk, who has styled himself as a champion of free speech, has rattled advertisers with his comments on Twitter and moves to change the social media platform's content moderation policies. On Sunday, Musk was booed for several minutes when he joined comedian Dave Chappelle on stage at a comedy show in San Francisco. Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, will retire this month after 54 years in government. Fauci became the face of the US response to the COVID-19 pandemic, frequently appearing on television and in the White House press briefing room to give Americans guidance on the virus. Fauci's support for face masks and lockdowns, along with his willingness to challenge doubts about the efficacy of COVID vaccines, drew conservative ire. And the federal government will seek to take permanent control of gas prices when it introduces radical new legislation into Parliament on Thursday, a move that industry leaders say would increase the risk of blackouts by killing exploration and cutting supply. The laws would give the government the power to decide the reasonable price of gas and go well beyond the emergency $12 a gigajoule price cap announced by Energy and Climate Change Minister Chris Bowen on Friday. Some analysts are warning the move could derail the $18.4 billion takeover bid for Origin Energy. The policy, which has been broadly welcomed by struggling gas buyers, effectively dismantles the gas market by seeking to heavily regulate the prices of all sales on the East Coast on an ongoing basis. A rush consultation of just three days will be followed by an urgent recall of Parliament on Thursday to push through the legislation. Analysts liken the bombshell proposal to a near nationalisation of the East Coast gas market, with Credit Suisse's Saul Kavanick saying it represented a declaration of war on the gas industry that would spark a major industry campaign against the Labor government on a par with mining tax advertising campaign a decade ago. And the Albanese government will spend up to half a billion dollars compensating New South Wales and Queensland coal producers for imposing price caps, as well as $1.5 billion for bill relief to households and businesses. Energy Minister Chris Bowen on Saturday promised the caps on the price of black coal and gas were a temporary and targeted measure to be replaced next year by a code of conduct for the gas market and new powers for the competition watchdog to intervene to ensure fair prices. The Commonwealth and states will continue negotiations over the coming days about the details of a rebate on power bills for households and businesses and how much producers will be compensated for the price caps. Federal Parliament was recalled on Thursday to pass the Albanese government's plan to reduce household and small business energy bills from April next year. The plan involves a deal with the states to cap the price of black coal to $125 per tonne on coal, half the rate of the spot market, and about 12 per gigajoule on gas. The Commonwealth is providing $1.5 billion for customer rebates and Bowen said the states and territories would need to opt in to the rebate scheme and provide matching funding, which needs to be additional to existing support. And one of the country's biggest bulk billing medical centre chains and mental health providers systematically rorted Medicare over a number of years while authorities failed to act on a series of tip-offs and red flags leaked documents show. The company, TriStar Medical Group, collapsed in May this year, leaving hundreds of patients without access to medical services and owing creditors $23 million. Leaked billing and medical documents show some GPs overstated the length of patient consultations to claim a higher Medicare rebate and billed for some services without adequate patient documentation, which is illegal.
Some GPs charge Medicare for up to 18 hours of face-to-face patient consultations a day when the clinic was open for 10 hours. One doctor in Bendigo raked in almost $1 million with nearly 90% generated from Medicare billing, documents show. Another high-billing medic revealed that on one day, the doctor worked less than six hours, saw 50 patients, with 14 of them involving mental health consultations and long consultations, which require at least 20-minute bookings to meet Medicare requirements. This left 80 minutes to service 36 other clients, equivalent to less than 2.3 minutes a patient. Former TriStar employees and associates, who asked not to be named for fear of reprisal, said concerns have been flagged with relevant authorities on multiple occasions from November 2018, but all failed to act. And Jim Chalmers says the government will mandate climate risk disclosure reported for the country's largest companies next year, warning that a lack of transparency on sustainability measures has created a handbrake on the investments needed to move the economy away from fossil fuels. The Treasurer says he's already written to regulators asking them to double down on efforts to combat greenwashing. The government's first priority will be on disclosures, with Mr Chalmers telling the Australian Sustainable Finance Institute Forum that Australian businesses needed to make credible disclosures to remain competitive in global markets. Treasury will consult on who the new requirements will apply to and which organisation will enforce the standards. There will be similar requirements for federal entities. Investor groups have been campaigning for the government to make climate risk-related disclosures mandatory to prevent companies using questionable assumptions in claiming green credentials. And grocery giant Woolworths is preparing to move further down the four-legged feathered and furred route, honing in on a deal to invest in dog and cat food and pet accessories business Petstock. It is understood Woolworths is in late-stage talks to take a major stake in Petstock and invest along the group's Victorian founders and management team. Sources said Petstock had sounded out a number of potential investors before focusing on recent efforts with Woolworths. Having got out of pubs and pokies, at least as far as business lines go, and petrol in recent years, pets are emerging as a growth engine for Brad Banducci's team. The country's biggest and most valuable grocer has been pushing further down the pets route, trying to capitalise on increased pet ownership and owners' propensity to spend more on their animals. Woolworths pet interests start with pet food and accessories sold in its supermarkets, which makes it one of the biggest players in the sector, and includes its controlling stake in specialist online retailer Pet Culture. It also has Pets JV with insurer Holiday. Hollard Group. Adding pet stock or a stake would be another way for the retailer to attack the market. Pet stock was founded 20 years ago by brothers David and Shane Young, who owned Ballarat Produce and started pet stock to expand their horizons. And an Australian company will train Ukrainian war veterans in cybersecurity to ward off hackers amid the country's continuing efforts to defeat Russia. Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation has signed a memorandum of understanding with Canberra-based Internet 2.0, which will open an office in the country. The deal marks Internet 2.0's first time working outside of countries with, within the Five Eyes, an intelligence alliance comprising Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom and the United States. Internet 2.0 co-chief executive Robert Potter said Ukraine was vital to the future of the global cybersecurity landscape. And Australia has significant carbon sequestration potential and the country must embrace the technologies if ambitious climate targets are to be met, as the CSIRO has concluded. Australia has pledged to reduce emissions by 43% by 2030 and net zero emissions by 2050, targets which have spurred an acceleration in moving away from fossil fuels. But the country is struggling to build enough renewable energy generation to compensate for the retirement of fossil fuels, stoking fears of blackouts and price rises. Offering a solution, CSIRO said Australia did have a significant potential to capture and store emissions. Carbon sequestration is a process of capturing and removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. CSIRO said nature-based technologies 
such as permanent plantings and plantation and farm forestry had the most immediate prospects because they were low cost and readily available. Still, CSIRO warned the nature-based carbon sequestration techniques would impede farming and rural Australia. And ANZ has conceded it will likely axe branches after a three-year grace period if its $4.9 billion bid for Suncor's banking arm clears competition hurdles. Jobs will also be cut at some stage as part of a wider plan to save $260 million a year, ANZ has said in documentation filed with the Australian Competition Consumer Commission, which will decide on whether to approve the deal. The admissions indicating how the major bank would save costs following ANZ trumpeting commitments to keep branches open for three years and save Suncor jobs in its statements to keep the public on side. The ACCC on Monday afternoon asked for submissions about the takeover. Melbourne-based ANZ, one of Australia's big four banks, earlier this year offered $4.9 billion for Brisbane-based Suncor's banking arm, a smaller regional lender. Suncor, a financial conglomerate with a far larger insurance business, has backed the offer. ANZ has also pledged no net loss among Suncor's staff or branch numbers in its Queensland heartland for three years after the deal completes, potentially next year. But it has refused to outline what would happen to ANZ branches in the state. Its filing with the ACCC repeats the pledges of not cutting Suncor's 49 Queensland branches, but then adds, subject to ANZ's integration plans, which are still being developed, following this period, ANZ is likely to conduct some racialisation of the bank branch network, potentially including duplicative branches. The bank said a report finds that savings due to the removal of duplicative branches amounts to increases in productive efficiency and are therefore a public benefit. The major bank argued use of branches by bank customers has diminished significantly and this trend will continue because customers increasingly prefer the convenience and efficiency of acquiring and using banking services remotely and making payments by electronic funds transfer instead of cash. And private dealers are exploiting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists visiting remote Indigenous communities who buy original works well below market value before marking up prices for wealthy clients in Australia and overseas. A Productivity Commission review has highlighted highlighted the predatory practices of so-called carpet bagging, where art deals and other business owners engage in unethical buying up of artworks, denying creators much-needed income and cashing in on Indigenous culture. The Commission has completed an 18-month review into the misappropriation of Indigenous visual arts and crafts, finding two and three products in the $80 million Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander souvenir market are fake and have no connection to communities. Non-Indigenous products accounted for up to $54 million of spending, representing more than half of total spending on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander souvenirs in 2019-2020. But the report also includes revelations of predatory fine art buyers, including one who tricked noted artist and amateur woman Barbara Mubujana Moore into posing with works she did not create. Amid growing international interest in Indigenous art, the National Association for the Visual Arts has acknowledged a small number of dealers have exploited First Nations artists, offering upfront payments in the form of vehicles, accommodation and other goods, or even establishing sweatshops for artists. Some have loaned money to family members of established artists underwritten by future artworks. Frail and elderly artists have been underpaid for their work and dealers have forced artists into long-term agreements with private galleries. The Commission said Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists received about $41 million from the sales of their artwork in 2019-20, about 30% of the total value of original sales. On average, the price of works by 7,300 artists who sold art through an Indigenous art centre in 2019-20 was slightly more than $3,200. For artists not working through art centres, the average income was $6,000. The Commission concedes there's a lack of comprehensive data on exploitation, with a copyright agency telling the review unfair and, and unethical dealings have reduced in some markets. The Commission called for the Federal Government to introduce rules to require management 
voluntary disclosure of Indigenous-style products not created or licensed by an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, a change likely to reduce fakes in the tourist souvenir market. The report recommended state and national art institutions better engage with Indigenous creators, including providing skills development, career pathways and culturally safe workplaces. And robots are coming to take workers' jobs, but the federal government has tapped a handful of experts in robotics, automation and manufacturing to develop a plan to make sure the obsolete rules are replaced by higher-paying gigs. Industry and Science Minister Ed Husick has appointed a National Robotics Strategy Advisory Committee, which meets virtually for the first time on Tuesday, to develop Australia's strategy for emerging automation technologies. CSIRO Chief Scientist Bronwyn Fox is Chairman of the Committee, which is tasked with writing a National Robotics Strategy that will advance the country's robotics sector while also safeguarding Australians' well-being. And the corporate watchdog has launched civil proceedings against 11 current and former star entertainment executives over alleged breaches relating to the oversight of of anti-money laundering protocols at the company's casinos. ASIC is suing multiple members of the star board between 2009-2017 and 2019 in the federal court. Former chairman John O'Neill, former chief executive Matt Beckier and directors during that time, Katie Lay, Richard Shepard, Jared Bradley, Sally Pitkin, Ben Heap and Slatko Tordosevsky are all identified in ASIC's 164 Statement of Claim. Heap is the current chairman of STAR. The other four directors named left the company over the past three years. Penalties for the alleged contraventions of Section 180 of the Corporations Act will be decided by the Federal Court. Each breach attacks a maximum penalty of $1,050,000. The watchdog alleges a board members approved of the relationships the casinos had with criminally linked individuals instead of inquiring whether the group should be dealing with them to address the risk of money laundering. ASIC also alleges a board breached their director obligations by failing to make further inquiries of management when presented with information about the money laundering risks proposed to the group. And that's it for this week. And this is the last episode of Talking Business for 2022. For the next few weeks, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. Wishing you all a safe, healthy and prosperous Christmas and good times catching up with your loved ones. And looking forward to bringing Talking Business on the 3rd of February, 2023. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 